Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In Acts chapter 21, we have the record of Paul returning from his third missionary journey. He is returning from his third missionary journey and traveling to Jerusalem. Now, it's helpful to understand that Jerusalem, at this time in history, is considered to be the embodiment of religion. The embodiment of religion in the context of knowing what is good and evil, and through knowing what is good and evil, a person may believe that they might become a better person, they might become a holy person or a sanctified person, they may be like God, effectively. The reason why I consider it to be so important in the context of religion is because Jerusalem was established by the living God through the giving of the Old Covenant. And the Old Covenant that was presented through Moses is the representation or the embodiment of all that is good and evil according to our God. I sincerely believe that the law as was given through Moses, the Mosaic Law, is the true and complete declaration of all that is good and evil. But the most important part of this is to understand that this addresses the reason why mankind fell from the living God to begin with. The temptation that was given to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden was the temptation that if they would only know what is good and evil, then they could be like God. And God provided the Mosaic Law as his contribution to our greatest effort to try to be like him through the knowledge of good and evil. Of course, only to discover that there was no way that we could obey all of the commandments. And so this clearly demonstrates that we cannot be like God just by knowing what is good and evil. In addition to that, I believe that it's very important to acknowledge that the maximum benefit that anyone could ever obtain by living in full, complete obedience to the law of Moses was described by our God in Deuteronomy chapter 28 when he said, that if you were to obey all of the commandments, then you would receive many blessings in your flesh. That the maximum benefit you could ever achieve through living a life of complete obedience to the Mosaic Law would be things like having more flour in your kneading bowl, or being able to lend and not borrow, that your enemies would flee from you in war, mildew and mold would not overtake you, your children would not be consumed by wild animals, things like that. But at no time, at no time did the Lord ever suggest anything about knowing who he is, about actually having a personal relationship with him through the law of Moses. This is a very critical distinction to make and to understand that the law was never given by God so that anyone would ever have an opportunity to know him. The maximum benefit of the Old Covenant is to experience greater indulgence in your flesh. The New Covenant, however, addressed completely different issues. The New Covenant addressed the issues of the heart, the emptiness of our heart because of the separation that we experience from him as a result of being born into this world spiritually dead. 
The new covenant addresses the issues of the spirit, not the issues of the flesh. That through the new covenant, through the forgiveness of sins, our God is able to relate to us not on the basis of law, but now on the basis of his grace and mercy. And through that, he is then able to give to us freely his love and acceptance, his understanding of the world that he has created. He is able to provide us with purpose in our lives. These are relational qualities that our God gives to us as we get to know him, as we get to grow in a relationship with a real person that is him so that we can know who he is. The law had no provision for this at all. Jerusalem represents the very embodiment of the law of Moses. At this time, it was established, defined, and governed by the Mosaic law. And while there were many people in Jerusalem who certainly did not have any interest in the law of Moses at all, there were many people who did have a distinct interest in the law of Moses. Now, when Paul is returning from his missionary journeys, he is returning to a climate that is very different from when he left. The last time Paul was in Jerusalem, there were two distinct categories of individuals who were living a religious life. The first category of people were those people who were identified as Pharisees and Sadducees and those who were aspiring to become Pharisees or Sadducees. You also had the common people who were actively involved in the traditions of the Pharisees and were somewhat involved in the religious practices of the temple. The other class of people were those who also believed in Jesus as the Messiah. But I say that in the context that the people who were here in Jerusalem, who recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, considered him to be important in addition to their lifestyle of living in obedience to the law of Moses. You need to understand that there was a very clear distinction between the church in Jerusalem and the church that was in the Gentile world at this time. The church in Jerusalem were composed mainly of Jews or of Gentiles who had converted to Judaism, who did believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but believed that Jesus was the Messiah to the extent that that should inspire them or encourage them more to live a life in devotion to the Mosaic law. And that's mainly because of what Jesus taught. Jesus taught the law when he was here on earth. That was the ministry that Jesus was involved in conducting, and that was to let people know that they needed to live in obedience to the Mosaic Law. But, of course, the reason why he taught that was, first of all, because that was the covenant that was in effect during the time that he was conducting his ministry, and second of all, because if a person does not recognize that they cannot live in obedience to the Mosaic Law, then they certainly have no value, they have no use for the forgiveness that the Lord Jesus provided For them, the forgiveness of sins that would set them free from their failures, from their sin, so that they could receive the grace and mercy of God. You see, if a person believes that they can actually live in obedience to the Mosaic Law, then technically they have no need for the forgiveness of sins. And the reason why they would have no need for the forgiveness of sins offered by the Lord Jesus is because they can just simply repent from their sins and obey the commandments of God. And so this is what the church was teaching people, that was, that Jesus is the Messiah and the words of Jesus are to be obeyed and followed, that a person should live a life of obedience to the Mosaic Law as much as possible, otherwise they would in no way enter the kingdom of heaven, and that they would have to depend and rely on the grace and mercy of God to make up for the difference for when they fell short of perfection as defined by Moses. But Paul, of course, was teaching a very different gospel than the church in Jerusalem. His gospel was that you are to let go of the law completely, 
that through the forgiveness of sins we have been completely set free from the law entirely to the extent where we are dead to the law, and the law is dead to us, it has no place in our life whatsoever, that we are now to walk in a newness of life that is a life based on dependency and trust on what Jesus has done for us, not on what we think we're going to do for God. Now, in light of the forgiveness that we have, we can live a life of peace and rest, enjoying the love and acceptance of our God, allowing Him to meet the very deepest needs of our heart, to set us free from our desires to indulge our flesh, because He now meets the deepest needs of our heart. And so in that way, through the fulfilling relationship that we can now have with the Lord Jesus, we can be set free from the bondages of sin, not because the law says don't sin, but because we have no need to sin, because we don't have a desire to sin, because we experienced a changed heart. And through that, we can actually begin to know our God, which is very different from what the church in Jerusalem was able to experience. The church in Jerusalem could encourage a person to live a life of repentance and obedience. But the gospel as it was presented through the Apostle Paul would provide people with an opportunity to actually know their God. And that is very distinct. That is very different. Now, when Paul was in Jerusalem previously, we know that he had a disagreement with the church in Jerusalem. This was described in Acts chapter 15, when all of the apostles, all of the elders of the church assembled together to discuss the matter of how should a Gentile live in light of the salvation that they have entered into. The church in Jerusalem argued the point that a person should be circumcised and live in obedience to the law of Moses. Paul went to Jerusalem to speak with them and to tell them that that certainly has nothing to do with our relationship with Christ Jesus anymore. But the conclusion that was given in Acts chapter 15 by James was not that we should not be living in obedience to the Mosaic law or that we should not be circumcised. The conclusion that James came to and all the apostles in Jerusalem apparently came to was that a Jew would have to live in obedience to the Mosaic law to include that they should be circumcised, but a Gentile would not have to live in obedience to the Mosaic law with the exception of a couple of laws and that a Gentile would not need to be circumcised. This, of course, was the conclusion of the church, but it was not the conclusion of Paul. And we can read in Galatians chapter 2 what Paul thought about that meeting, how Paul felt about meeting with the apostles in Jerusalem, and what he had to say was, was that he didn't care what they said, he was not interested in what they said, that he was not going to abide by the edicts or by the declarations or by the conclusions of the church in Jerusalem, but that he had heard from the Lord Jesus himself the true gospel that he was going to preach and promote, and that it was distinct from the gospel that was being taught and promoted in Jerusalem. And you need to understand this, because if you don't understand this difference, then you're going to be totally confused when you see Paul returning to Jerusalem, as described in Acts chapter 21. Because when Paul returns from Jerusalem, he has just spent several years going out into the Gentile world, telling people that they did not need to live in obedience to the Mosaic law, and now he's returning to Jerusalem, and he's going to be confronted over this. This is what he had to look forward to when he returned to Jerusalem. He got to look forward to going before James and the other apostles and be ridiculed over the gospel that he was teaching. And, sure enough, beginning in Acts chapter 21, verse 17, we can see this take place. In Acts chapter 21, beginning in verse 17, it says, After we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After he had greeted them, 
he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So Paul was brought before James, and all the elders were present. Everyone was there. And Paul related to them the things that the Lord did within and through him to minister to the Gentiles. And what would he be conveying? Well, he could certainly tell them about the miracles that had occurred, and that would give evidence and testimony that the living God was actively participating in the ministry of Paul. But I would venture to say that he would also tell them about the change of heart that they would experience and the fact that they would grow to know the living God in a personal, intimate way. Because to me, that is the objective of all things here, and that is for us to know our God. But then in verse 20, it says, And when they heard it, they began glorifying God. Well, did they glorify God because of what happened through the ministry of the Apostle Paul? Certainly not. They glorified God not because of what was taking place with the ministry of the Apostle Paul, but they glorified God because of what they thought God was doing with them in Jerusalem. It says, they began glorifying God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. In other words, the church in Jerusalem believes that the objective is to get people to be zealous for the law of Moses. But the objective, according to the gospel revealed through the Apostle Paul, is not to be zealous for the law of Moses. It is to know your God. It is to be at peace. It is to be at rest. And there is no way, no way whatsoever, that a person can ever be at peace. A person can never be at rest through being zealous for the law, because you will never be obedient enough in order to say that you are now able to be at rest and be at peace with your God because you are holy, because you are sanctified. Because you'll never do enough in order to be holy and sanctified. You will never do enough in order to be accepted by your God. You will never do enough in order to be pleasing to your God. You will consistently live your entire life believing, if you were to be truly honest, you would believe that your God is totally and absolutely disgusted with you. And so if that's the case, then how are you going to be loved by your God or accepted by him? You're not. That's the point. And so you'll be condemned to go into the world and indulge your flesh because that is the only means that you have left to try to experience any peace and rest in your heart because of the emptiness that is within you because you have a need to be loved and you have a need to be accepted. And you're certainly not going to have that need met by your God because you will never be zealous enough. You will never be repentant enough. You will never be obedient enough. But the church in Jerusalem, James and all the elders, they sincerely believed that they could glorify God because they were encouraging more and more people and more and more people were truly following the law of Moses. They were zealous for the law, which meant that they were further and further away from the true and living God. That's what they were glorifying God about. They were glorifying God because they got more people to be further and further away from God. And this is definitely not reflective of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. So they continue in verse 21. They say, And they have been told about you, that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. Well, of course he was. Just because they told him in Acts chapter 15 not to do that didn't mean that he wasn't going to do that. 
That just meant that that's how they felt about the situation. But Paul did not agree with the church in Jerusalem. He did not agree with the apostles. He did not agree with the elders. He did not subject himself to the decree that was given to him by James. He did not do that. He continued to preach the truth as the Lord had revealed it to him that a person does not need to be circumcised and a person does not need to walk according to the customs of the Pharisees or according to the law of Moses that the new covenant is completely different from the old, that we are to walk in the newness of life on the basis of what Jesus has done for us, not on the basis of what we think we're going to do for him. And while they agreed amongst themselves back in Acts chapter 15 that he can go and tell the Gentiles about this, but not the Jews, he told the Jews also that he saw that the Jew and the Gentile were no different. But the church in Jerusalem did not see that. The church in Jerusalem... The apostles, the elders, James, really believed that there was a distinction between the Jew and the Gentile still. They had no concept of the new creation. They had no concept of the new man, the new person in Christ Jesus, where there is neither Jew nor Gentile, but there is a new creation, a born-again believer, a child of God who walks in accordance with the new covenant, not with the old on the basis of what God has given to us as a free gift. So what did James have to say? You continue to read in verse 22. What then is to be done? What then is to be done? Obviously, this is a very serious problem. And Paul, we are declaring to you that you're a problem. So what is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Obviously, they will hear that he has come because word will get around. Therefore, do this, that we tell you, We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and all will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly keeping the law. Well, now, Paul obviously wasn't keeping the law and neither were they. As much as they may have thought that they were keeping the law, they were not. No one can keep the law. But continuing in verse 25, but concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided that they should abstain from meat sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. Well, sure, these are wonderful things to abstain from, but not for the purpose of pleasing your God. But then in verse 26, then Paul took the men and the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. And so what's happening now? What's happening? Paul does not defend himself. Paul does not speak to defend the gospel that he was proclaiming. No, he doesn't, and I can tell you why. It's very obvious to me, and that is because it would do no good. I personally believe that it would be of no value for Paul to speak to the elders, to speak to James about this matter any further. I honestly don't believe that it would be constructive at all for Paul to explain to them the gospel that he taught amongst the Gentiles. I don't think it would do any good for him to explain how a person could actually grow to know their God instead of just be more holy or sanctified or obedient because they were circumcising or living in obedience to the commandments or the customs of the Pharisees. I don't think that they could have really grasped much of anything that Paul would have had to say. I mean, think about this for a moment. If they sincerely believe that the relationship that a Jew has with the living God is distinct and different from the relationship that a Gentile has with the living God, 
then you're talking about a group of people who really don't have a clue about the gospel. Not really. I mean, they may certainly believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and the Lord Jesus may find ways of using them. And he did. We have plenty of examples of that previously described in the book of Acts. I do believe that the Lord Jesus could make use of them and that he did. But in terms of real growth and maturity, to actually know your God, I think that that's something that escaped them for their entire lives. And so for Paul to go against the council, to go against James, the apostles and the elders there in Jerusalem, I don't think would be very constructive. And so it appears to me that Paul decided to subject himself willingly and freely under the Mosaic law for the purpose of still being able to integrate amongst the brethren, amongst the church, and amongst the people of the synagogues, and amongst the people of the temple, so that he could still reach out to them with the truth of the gospel. In other words, he became like a Jew. He subjected himself under the laws to give the appearance or the impression that he was living in accordance with the Mosaic law. He gave the impression, he gave the appearance, so that he could still be among them and have an opportunity to minister to them about the truth of the gospel. Otherwise, he would have been immediately rejected and isolated and cast out and ridiculed to the extent where he would have found it very difficult to minister to anyone because everybody was going to know that he was in town. Word would get around. What would people truly have to say? Well, you could look at the situation and you can easily see by examining the conflict that was happening between Paul and the church in Jerusalem that the people would have spoken about the Apostle Paul as being a complete rebel against all that is holy and good, that perhaps he may have even become like a pagan Gentile who is just looking for an excuse to indulge his flesh. Those are the kinds of things that people could have accused him of. Falsely, of course. But you have to understand that that was the condition of the people who still did not have any idea about the implications of what Christ Jesus had done for anybody. And so because of that, I do believe that this is the only course of action that Paul can take if he's going to minister to the people in Jerusalem. The only reasonable course of action would be to subject himself under the laws to that extent and demonstrate that he is not just looking for an opportunity to indulge his flesh, but that he is a true servant of the Most High God. And through that, he would have opportunities to be able to speak to the people. Otherwise, it would be easy for him to be so isolated that he would have no opportunity to speak to anyone about the gospel at all. This certainly wasn't the first time that Paul did something like this. If you can recall, when he first met Timothy, he circumcised Timothy. This was right after the council meeting in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 16, Paul met Timothy and he had him circumcised. Why? Because of the Jews, not because of what Paul believed about circumcision, but because of the Jews, so that Timothy could go with the Apostle Paul and effectively minister to the Jews, effectively tell the Jews about the gospel. Otherwise, Timothy would not have been accepted within the Jewish community well enough for him to be able to effectively speak to them about the Lord Jesus. So likewise, as Paul is returning to Jerusalem, it is clear to me that the Apostle Paul is doing the same thing. He is subjecting himself to the Mosaic Law in order to reach out to the Jews. Otherwise, they would be so consumed with the fact that they felt that he was being disobedient that he could not effectively speak to them about the truth of the living God. He certainly did not do that in order to be right with God. He did that in order to be right with the people so that he could effectively minister to them. Now, this leads us to a very important question, and that is, did James, 
Did the elders, did the apostles in Jerusalem ever agree with the Apostle Paul? Did they ever come to an agreement? And to be honest with you, I see no evidence at all that suggests that they ever did come to an agreement. I personally believe that there was a separation between the Apostle Paul and the apostles in Jerusalem to include James throughout the entire course of the history of the church. I do believe that we can see these differences between the Apostle Paul and the church in Jerusalem by studying the differences between the letters of the Apostle Paul and the letter that we have in the New Testament that was written by James. Now, I'm not going to get into those differences in this broadcast because I am out of time for this program, but I would like to encourage you to listen to the programs that I have done on Faith Only or Faith and Works, where I talk about this subject in great detail where I make the assumption that Paul and James never did agree. And the reason why I make that assumption is because that's what I see throughout the history of the church as described in the book of Acts, and that it is acceptable to consider that as a possibility, because if it is true, it will bring greater consistency to the apparent discrepancies or the apparent disagreement between Paul and James instead of trying to reconcile the two. If they are not reconcilable, then it will give greater credibility to the scriptures, to the New Testament, if we do not try to reconcile them, but instead acknowledge that there was a distinct difference between the gospel that Paul taught and the gospel that James taught, especially because that's what Paul said in his letter to the Galatians. He said that he taught a different gospel than what was being taught in Jerusalem. And here in Acts chapter 21, I think we have further evidence to show that the differences that they had were very clear and that they never really did come to an agreement with regards to what the gospel truly is and how we are to live our daily lives in light of what Christ Jesus has done for us. And so I would like to encourage you to listen to the other programs that I have done on this subject, that is the programs on faith only or faith and works, where I look at this subject in more detail. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net